Carolina podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome. Welcome to Utopia. All right, you want to do some mailbag? Excuse me, some mailbag here, John? Absolutely. All right, let's start it off with Chris in the ATL. He emails every week, so we start off uh, with him. Um, does naming CJ a captain ensure he will be the starting quarterback all year long, aside from injury? So does his does this uh, CJ Stroud voted a captain by his teammates? If his performance starts to waver, does his being a captain factor in at all to whether or not he stays on the field? No, of course not, Chris. Of course that doesn't have anything to do with it. If he stinks it up for multiple games, he'll do like he'll go to the bench, get a different perspective, like Davis Mills did. Then when Mills came back in, he was a much better quarterback. So Remember if he when- struck- struggles a lot, he'll be on the bench too. Davis was a captain last year, and he got benched for Kyle Allen at one point. Remember that? Ooh. Kyle Allen is the backup somewhere. I don't know where, but I read it. Buffalo. 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 Wow. Yeah. Hey, they should have played him last night. He couldn't play any worse. Josh Allen. Than, that's the truth. Josh Allen was was abysmal last night. Uh, Chris asked an interesting follow-up, John. Chris always has these good questions that are kind of outside the realm. He said, fun question. If the city of Houston named a captain for the city, just a captain for the city, what famous or well-known Houstonian would you vote for? I've got three on my list here, John. Do for you the, uh, for the Texans? No, no, no. For the city, like if the city of Houston, if you voted, a, if you voted for a captain of the city, you know, just to rep the city out there, you know what mattress, I mean? Mattress Mac. That's a great one. Sylvester Turner, who okay. I think has been an outstanding ambassador for Houston, a great PR guy, and the third one would be the best PR guy I've ever seen, J.J. Watt. Okay, the J.J. Watt's a good one. I have three other ones, John. Bun B, I think, would be a good captain for the yep. city of Houston. Bun B is a great representative of the city, loves H-Town. Tillman Fertitta, I think Tillman would be uh, Tillman would be fun as a captain for the city of Houston. And I have The Undertaker as my third one, John. That's the wrestling fan in me. But The Undertaker, he was sort of the captain of the WWE locker room back in the day, is what they say. Um, all right, thank you, Chris, for the question, as always. Um, let's go, let's see. Donald and Spring, See, things seem to change in the second half of that game against the Ravens with no Jalen Petrie out there. Where does he stack up on the list of most valuable Texans for you, John McClain? That's Donald and Spring asking that question. Where's Petrie in your pecking order of valuable Texans? Right now, you can't, quarterback's the most valuable because of he is on every team. I think defensively, Will Anderson Jr. is the most important because he has a chance to be the first double-digit sack guys since J.J. had 16 in 2018. And Damian Pierce needs to get the ball more. He would be third. But I would put Petrie, who he's a captain like Jimmy Ward, but he can play up, he can play back, he plays the run, he plays the pass. So I'd I'd put him fourth. Now, Laramie Tunsil I'd put in the top five, and then I'd put Petrie probably five or six. I'd put Petrie ahead of Pierce. Pierce looks like he dropped a little too much weight, John. He looks a little too sleek for me. I need him to get back to last year where he was cracking skulls all the time. He did, didn't he drop some weight because he's going to be catching more balls out of the backfield this year, right? Is that what we were hearing in the in yeah, training camp? I think it's ridiculous throwing the ball. He gets enough punishment as it is. That's why they got Devin Singletary. But I think a lot of it had to do with the blocking. But he had, what, two, three, 15, five-yard runs. They didn't get him the ball more. All right, let's see here next. Oh, by the way, Will Anderson. Did you hey, did you rewatch the game, John? Have you watched it a second oh, or third yeah. time yet? Sure. Um, 
I think against almost any other quarterback, Will Anderson has three sacks in that game. He he was on rewatch. He was uh, he was all over the place in that game on Sunday. Very disruptive. A lot of attention had to go to him. You know, the first time he hit Jackson, it was an interception by Stephen Nelson. Made a great diving play. Then he sacked him later, and I thought John Grenard did well. Yeah, John had two sack, one sack, two tackles for loss. It amazes me the official stats come from the game book compiled by the NFL statistician. But a lot of people use pro football focus, next generation stats, just take for some other reason, none of them are official. And so I say, well, Will Anderson had this or JJ, John Grenard had this, but the fact is that's not what they had. That's what they, well, officially they had whatever the game book says, but both those guys played really well and they blitzed a little bit. Petrie, twice blitzed and he was a factor on both blitzes uh joe q emails in about Kadarius tony john he says i find it hard not to wonder if number 19 for the chiefs had the lions on the money line on thursday night last week i'm mostly facetious but not 100 percent. i can't recall a wide receiver ever being so singularly responsible for a team losing a game wide receivers have a great opportunity to shave points by dropping passes i don't think 19 tony could have schemed the pick six on purpose no he couldn't have i, I don't think I don't think Kadarius Tony was on the take, John, but I do think Kadarius Tony is a loser. I, I think his his deleting his Twitter account after the game, and then when the Giants lose on Sunday night, he's right back on social media trolling the Giants. Like, hey, go away, man. Just go away. He had issues at Florida. The Giants got rid of him. Now the Chiefs probably would like to, but they can't. As somebody said, if he just knocked down every pass thrown to him, Chiefs would have won the game. That's true. That's true, yeah. If he <laughs> That pick six was the difference. Right there, uh, by Brian and the Branch. One on the last drive, it was right in his hands, yeah. and they could have won. The, they could have. Well, won he did knock hands. that one down, though, John. He, that one he, he did, did knock down. But if he, yeah, but it, but if he if he had knocked down the pick six, they would have been they would have been much better off. Um, Bobby B asks, "What national broadcast do you guys enjoy the most? Play by play, color sideline, not the studio show. So game day team, John. You know the Nance Romo Wolfson team, the Tariko Collinsworth." I guess it's, it used to be Michelle Tafoya. I'm not sure who does the NBC sidelines now, but do you do you have a particular one that's your favorite amongst the national NFL broadcasts? Yeah, I don't pay any attention to anybody on the sideline. That's it's it's a to me it's the hardest job, especially in college when those coaches are so rude a lot of the times. And uh, but I love the analysts, and I like Aikman and Buck. I like I don't. Tony Don't Romo's not as good as he used to be, but I love Jim Nance mainly because I've known him since uh, the late 70s. And um, and I like Mike Tirico, although I thought he said a really stupid thing about putting Askus next to the Chiefs. That was loss dumb. after that first yeah, game. That and Collinsworth, you know, he's got a lot of opinions. But if I had to pick one, I think I would go with Aikman and Buck. They're good. I, Joe Buck doesn't annoy me on the football broadcast like he annoyed me during the World Series runs for the Astros <laughs> back in the day. Um I think he's very talented. I think Aikman's good. Mine's NBC. I do like Tariko. And I thought what Tariko said was incredibly stupid on Thursday night. If for no other reason, it just minimizes a great game that you just got done calling. And basically, you're telling the audience, like, well, whatever you watch doesn't really matter for the last three hours. Thanks for investing your time in watching me and paying my salary. But, yeah, didn't really matter. Um, I guarantee you he regrets that. I'm he's sure he does, that, which is one of the reasons I like him. I think He's very self-aware. I, I And I like I – mean, and I think he's – beyond just football, like his ability to call other sports. Ooh, yeah. He's, 
He's arguably the gold standard among play-by-play guys overall. And Collinsworth doesn't rub me the wrong way that he rubs a lot of people. I think Collinsworth, people get annoyed by Collinsworth sometimes. Um, I like Collinsworth. I like his energy. I, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to get uh, you know complete football 101 for my color commentators. I like being entertained and learn a few things along the way. And um, so I, I, I don't mind. I, I think Collinsworth and Tariko are a good contrast with each other too. Collinsworth is kind of that country bumpkin Kentucky guy, and Tariko is a very buttoned-up Syracuse-educated broadcaster. I watched uh, once live and once on replay that white guy make his debut on CBS. And, of course, he's smooth as silk. We knew he would be. I thought he did a good job. It's too crowded, John. Those studio hey, shows, there's too always, many there's too many always too crowded, yes. Yeah, but that seems to be an easy problem to fix. Just get rid of two people. You know what I mean? Like it's of course, I shouldn't be advocating for people getting fired in broadcasting. They'll come after me next. So, no, I, by all means, have 10 guys on the studio show. Make You're untouchable. <laughs> yeah. You're not, untouchable. Not if they true. called up Parker Hillis and say, we want to trade for Sean Pendergast, he'd say, and that's the program director, nope, nope, nope. You can have anybody else but Sean. He's untouchable. Okay, I, I appreciate John. I appreciate that. But if they got offered two first round picks, I would say to Laramie Tunsil, I would say to Parker what Laramie Tunsil said to uh, to Greer. Uh, I would have taken that package as well. <laughs> um, Chris in the ATL gets another one in here. This is a good one though. You just got done. We just got done talking about Damian Pierce. Uh, I get the Ravens' defensive line is solid, and the Texans had a makeshift O line, but they've got to run the ball better and be better balanced. Pierce and Montgomery are arguably the best RB tandem they've had in years. Rex bleeping Burkhead isn't here anymore. Multiple exclamation points. He says, my question after venting, who should take the most blame for the poor running game for the Texans against the Ravens? Bobby Slowick, the offensive line, or the running backs? The offensive line, I think everything that Bobby Slowick calls, he's going to have to take into consideration about the line. Now, at some point this year, after Titus Howard and Juice Scruggs come back, and uh, you never know. Maybe by then Jarrett Patterson will be playing left guard. But at some point, I think the line will be better, Sean. And they'll look back and go, man, remember when we went through all this turmoil early in the season? What they do have to do is run it more. You know, the 49ers are predominantly a running team to set up the pass. You know that's what Slowick would like to do. But you can't, like, come in four or five series, run on first down and come back to a pass on the second down. It's too obvious. But – First-time head coach, first-time play caller, first-time quarterback, they're all going to learn. Yeah, it's it, the operation was not smooth on Sunday. That's the biggest thing. I, th- I think if you're looking at things they need to improve week one to week two, like the running game is going to be a work in progress. I get it. I don't expect them to turn into you know, to, to turn into a, a juggernaut on the ground, but getting the plays in, not using your timeouts, all not using them all up with eight minutes to go in the half. Like These are things that, that – I mean, it's, this is high school stuff, you know? Um, all right, a few more, John, here. Janice in Shenandoah. Shout out to the female listeners. We appreciate you. Joe Burrow got $219 million guaranteed. Will Trevor Lawrence finally be the one who surpasses Deshaun Watson's pesky $230 million guaranteed number? Janice, I believe he will. I think this time next year. But if Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy mm-hmm. and that offense is so prolific, he's going to be the one. One of those guys, both of them will get new deals. And both of them may surpass Deshaun Watson, who may say, hey, I want to renegotiate. Oh, please. John, he's got to play more than one good game before he renegotiates his team. Well, he didn't even play a good game against Cincinnati. That's what I'm saying. Seth and I went through his game log with Cleveland on the show today. He's played seven games with the Browns. 
he's had one game where his passer rating's been over 100. He's had two games where he's thrown for more than 200 yards. Wow. More than 200. Not more well, than, the weather not, gets bad and the wind starts. Yeah. Running. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. A couple more here. Um, Jonathan on the west side. T. Higgins in a Texans uniform next year. What say you? I say no. They're not going to go spend a fortune on a wide receiver. Why? They they're need one. They need a playmaker. Evans, T. Higgins. They're going to T. Higgins is good when he's in a subordinate role. They need to draft and develop their own guys. How do we know, John? How do we know he's uh he, he, he has he ever been given the opportunity to spread his wings and be the number one guy? Nope. And you're saying that that hasn't happened because he can't do it is what I'm well, hearing. Well, it hasn't happened because he wants a lot of money. Yeah. Instead of giving him a lot of money, not knowing. Now, if they've watched him, if they watch him and they say, this is the guy that can be our go-to guy, big right. play guy for five years, then they should do it. But, uh, boy, you got to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, because that that market is expensive. That's not the running back market. <laughs> the wide receiver. Good, another, every year is a good receiver draft. Yeah, so many of them come out, and you don't have to get them in the first round. But uh, although Nico Collins looked good, six catches, eighty he yards. Did. Robert Woods was a first down machine. They still need a guy that that is a big play guy who can stretch the defense. Maybe that'll be Tank Dell, but not many five eight. 165-pound guys are that, but uh, I certainly wouldn't give up big bucks unless I was sure, especially now, like, say, before the trade deadline, because we know they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think, look, Jonathan's question was just T. Higgins in a Texans uniform, what say you? That was it. He didn't say when they'd get him or how they'd get him, if it's a trade during the season for the right to for the right to sign him. I Those are tricky things for me. I'm They did that with Laramie Tunsil, trading dra- you're trading draft capital for the right to overpay a guy. That's a double whammy right there. So I definitely don't want them to do that. Like T. Higgins is not the difference between them uh, making a playoff run this year and not making a playoff run. He would become their best receiver, I think, immediately, just from a, purely from a talent standpoint, sure. if, if he were to come here. They're going to have a ton of money next season, though, John. I mean, they're going to spend it somewhere. I, and I think wide receiver, I think, would you agree? I mean, that's probably one of the biggest positions of need on this team, especially if John Mechie, you know, we can't plan – the future is if John Mechie is part of that right now, in my mind, at least. I think that's one of the many things they should spend a lot of money on when they have a big free agency period to help them become a playoff contender. I agree. That and the post-game show. That's what I would like them to spend a lot of money on. What about the pre-game show? The pre-game show, too. But, the, yeah, the, that, yeah, the pre-game show. Both of them. Boy, you're talking about somebody that's untouchable. I want more money. <laughs> You're like T. Higgins. I am. I am. They're going to pay the man. Pay him right now. That's right. They're going to trade me to Jacksonville. Hey, whatever you're getting for those long pre and post game and how late you got to stay up doing our podcast and then get up at 430 next morning, they need to quadruple it. Okay. I like that, John. You're going to become my agent in this whole thing. I like it. Uh, All right. Last one. Um, Astros rotation. This one is for this one's from Michael. He says, uh, guys, I like when you guys talk about the Astros starting rotation as if the playoffs were to start tomorrow. That is, that's kind of our bracketology thing, John. You're like, if the playoff, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow and the Astros were in a best of five series, who would be your four starters for a best of five series? Well, three would be JP France. And it wouldn't be Hunter Brown. And so it Verlander, be- Ver- Verlander Framber are an easy one too, right? Yeah. And JP should be the easy third one because Javier had pitched worth a darn. Mm-mm. all year and then hunter brown has had at least a few good games not lately and i but i've done knowing dusty he'll go with javier hoping javier 
will magically discover the magic from last season. But Javier has been a huge disappointment from the get-go. And then Jose Urquidy, who's been in the bullpen, ERA almost seven in his four relief appearances. What a race. When I wrote my Astros column yesterday and posted it, the Rangers were out of the playoffs. Now the Rangers are tied for second place or something. They go from out of the wild card race to in the wild card race, and that's kind of way it's it's been. It was fun for the Astros to run away with everything, and we're all just bored waiting for the second round. But now with this incredible race in which every game is essential to the playoff race, it is so exciting. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's it's fun to watch meaningful, sit down and watch meaningful games. This is like watching playoff games right now. Because let's so, face it, the Astros could miss the playoffs. It's not they're 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 right there with these other teams. There's four. There's there's three spots for four teams right now, basically. Oh, right. Yep. Going in last night's game, and we're recording this on Tuesday. Going in the first yeah. Oakland game, nine yeah. of twelve against the A's and the Royals, the yeah. worst team in baseball. They lose four zero to the A's. Eight yeah. times this year, they've hit double digits. Next game, scored two or fewer. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that's been a theme for two years now. Like this is not, this is not something that's been going on since the All Star break or something. This is two years now where they, they just they they tease you. They're like, okay, there they are. The bats are back, one through nine. The dream lineup, the lineup of death, and then they come back the next day. Two guys get hits last night. Pena and Altuve are the only two guys to get hits last night at all. They need to look at that closer for the A's. May he I heard got you two on, no yeah. out. He's got Alvarez, Bregman, and Tucker. No problem. Easy outs. Game over. Uh, that guy did a great job. I don't know what he's done the rest of the season. I didn't know a team that wins 44 games needs a closer. But the fact is, he did tremendously. And I feel much better about the bullpen and the hitting than I do about the starting pitcher right now. Even Fromber, he had a he had a quality start. He gets no support. But Fromber's pitching well enough. Everybody's comfortable with him and Verlander. And as we record this, Verlander's going against the A's tonight. This yeah. time next week, they're playing the Orioles. That could be a preview of the American League Championship Series. Good. And those last six, at some point, I was worried, oh, man, they got to go on the road to Seattle and Arizona. Now I welcome them going on the road. And the Mariners should win everything because they get at the Rangers three, home for the Astros three, home for the Rangers for four. And – uh They've got it right there, but they've won. I think they're three and eight in their last eleven, something like that. Yeah, yeah, they've got they've cooled off, no doubt. They were the hottest team in baseball for a while. They've they've cooled off. They were great in August. September has not been nearly as kind to them as uh, as August was. Hey, John, man, the A's. You know, even bad teams win games, and you know the old saying: teams aren't going to. So, so you know, they're, they're bad teams need closers too, John. Every now and again. You like that guy, though, huh? I do, and if they, you know, they went in nine and one against the A's, and if they win these next two, win the series, that's fine. I panicked that's after fine. the first Padres game on Friday night, and they beat them two in a row. So I think, I think they're going to win the division. Fangraphs has them at a fifteen point seven percent to win the World Series. That's second to wow. the Braves, who are thirty percent to win the World Series. That's the highest the Astros have been all year, 15.7. I mean, they were down in the single digits for the longest time for a while. Yeah, if you get shut out by the A's, they might be like 2%. (laughs) The computers don't know how to overreact, John. (laughs) They're not like you and me.